So, if you're if you've been away for a couple of weeks or anything, or if you don't know what's going on, we're going through the season of Advent, and this season is a pre-Christmas season that uh, has been celebrated by the church for hundreds of years, maybe a thousand years, but at least hundreds of years, and it's it's focusing on the importance of looking to the returning of Jesus, which is not far into our church since our name is Maranatha. That's kind of like something we do all the time, but it's a season in the church historically that's meant for that purpose. And um, I was telling everybody last week that there's no right way to do it, really. It's kind of like a tradition people made up for the sake of remembering the hope of Jesus coming. And then other people have taken it all sorts of different ways, and even like the colors of these candles and stuff. It's like, uh, but this week is the one that's the most interesting because as I was studying it and I told everybody that we're supposed to be contemplating our life without God and our lost nature without God or our need for God. And so <laughs> the original candle themes were death, judgment, heaven, and hell, not hope, joy, peace, and whatever we've been doing. So <laughs> later I think some people were like, yeah, let's, let's lighten up the mood a little, and they came up with it. And so I was when I was going through the scriptures, to, the, you know, I was like, well, we'll just preach out of them. That's what I felt like the Lord was saying. And then I got to this week where I looked at, the theme is joy, and the scripture is you brood of vipers. And I was like, okay, this is, because I thought, well, we can fit these together because the tr- people will like this, and it'll be fine. And then this one, I was like, that one's going to be hard, you know. But then I saw it. And so what I'm going to do is lay out for you. We're going to go through this scripture that we just read. Um, we're going to go through it quickly, then I'm going to go back into it and talk about it. I'm going to tr- tr- kind of do like a translation into 2021 language. So especially young people, if there are any young people, <laughs> you guys, you need to be listening to me when I'm talking. So don't look at your phones anymore. So um, this is important for young people especially, I think. But I think we'll all benefit from this uh, translation that I'm going to kind of start to put in here. Because this stuff, as we encounter it, can easily fit. If you're a Christian person at all, it goes into that, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, that's fine. And we don't let it do what it needs to be doing, hence why I'm going to try to translate it. Because we like to skip out of things, especially things we don't like, you know, (laughs) and we all do it. But then we'll get to the joy at the end, okay? There is joy in this, but you almost have to have a sense of humor to get it, okay? And I will say, just for, for what it's worth, I feel like our culture is losing its sense of humor at like a rapid rate. So this is going to be some practice to get it back. Okay. You need a sense of humor because you have to see the the humor in this thing. And we're going through the season of Advent. And the last week and this week, we're focusing mostly on John the Baptist, who was sent prophetically ahead of Jesus' first coming to prepare the way for him. And this whole Advent season is what they call apocalyptic. And so, um, y'all put that slide up. This uh, apocalyptic really means revealing, like peeling back the certain, like what's really going on here, you know. It takes on, if you look it up now, it, because of the biblical uses, go back. Yes, stay there. The, uh, um, the, the biblical uses are so often associated with the end of the world that now Webster's Dictionary kind of put that up. You're like, yeah, discussing about the end of the world. But really what it means, like the root word, is talking about revealing. Like, let's peel back the surface and see what's really going on here, okay? So that's kind of what we're talking about. And that's what John the Baptist is doing in preparing the way. And so 
When we say preparing, because our job is to be preparing the way like John the Baptist was, okay, in our lives for Jesus' coming, okay? Coming in the second coming, like his return to earth and his coming into our lives as we just sing, you know, we've, you know. Um, his his presence and what I mean by that I just think this this is a, a good time to make this point because I've wondered in this whole Advent time when I should share this. What I mostly mean is almost nothing to do with being prepared. Like so, you have all your supplies. You follow what I mean? Like I got all my food and my water and all my guns to keep people away from my food, and I can store it somewhere to keep. Like that's not really at all what we're talking about about being prepared. All right. Now we live in Florida, so having food for like hurricanes and stuff, this is just smart. But just so you know that I'm not against bomb shelters, I want to show something from my personal life. Since I was just there, and it's, it's, it's poignant to me, my grandmother just passed away, and when I went up and visited, I walked through her house because I was like, you know, this whole thing's about to be changed. And I just took a whole bunch of pictures, and it dawned on me, one of these pictures I'm going to show you, which, if my grandmother was still alive, she would kill me for showing you this photo. But since she's, she doesn't care anymore, I'm going to show you. This is like the cellar of her house. She has this laundry room, and if you notice, there's this metal door in the back corner. That metal door in my granddad's house, leads to a bomb shelter. And to go to the next photo, it's underground. Like, this is their yard, and that's like the chimney portion where, like, and so he built this house during the Cuban Missile Crisis and built a bomb shelter. And so <laughs> I'm not against the idea of having one of these. I will say this, though, to my grandfather's credit. He was a doctor, and his whole preparation was... Um, to be of service in light of an event like this. So he had medicine and all this kind of stuff to try to treat people. He didn't just have guns to try to keep people away from his medicine. You see what I'm saying? We have this kind of attitude where we're like, I'm going to... So if you're going to do this kind of thing and take this on as a hobby, at least do it for the sake of other people, like as a Christian person, okay? So let's learn from my granddad. But we're not against bomb shelters here. It's just that's not mostly what this is talking about, okay? And now you see my grandmother's basement. Um, (laughs) But when we're talking about Jesus coming, we're supposed to pray every day. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Okay? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So we're talking about a grand coming, but Jesus is coming. You run into him all the time if you're paying attention. So we're going to talk about John the Baptist really quick. And if, and if you look at the Matthew parallel of this story, which is in Matthew 3, you, you, there's a very, the way they introduce John in this one is more like, there's this guy, and da 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 and they go through this whole you know, list before this. But the Matthew one, it just says this is what he was. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Okay? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's a weird way to start that if you're just, you know, coming into this. So let's go back to Luke. This is the scripture that we read today just a few minutes ago. Luke 3, 7 through 18. I'm going to breeze through this, then we'll come back and talk about it. Luke 3, 7 through 18. So he's preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, and people are starting to show up. So John's first response to these people, verse 7, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So let's just take a couple points from this. Wrath is coming, and wrath is the result of sin. It's, it's kind of understanding God's wrath is experiencing God's holiness in, on your own. Like, I'm good. I can take care of myself. And when God's holiness encounters you, that's wrath, and it's not good. And it's it's a it's a it's an instant reckoning of, or maybe it's not instant, but it's a reckoning of your life and your, your sin before God and all this kind of thing. And like we said, revealing, it's not like it wasn't like that the whole time. 
You see what I'm saying? It's just all of a sudden you go, oh, gosh. And it's not good, okay? But we'll come back to all of this. I want to go through it first. So he says, who told you to flee from the coming wrath? Verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that these stones can... God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not bear fruit, good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. See how joyful this all is? The fruit in keeping with repentance is, is what is necessary, okay? And repentance is the way to God. And we're going to come back to this. So verse 10, what should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. This, this is, so he, they're asking, like, like okay, well, we wanna, like, who told us to flee the wrath? What do we do about it? He's like, this is what you should do, okay? Show the fruit that leads to repentance, and th- that looks like this, you know? We are literally taking up an offering to help provide food for people, if you can connect the dots here. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? And don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them, because they used to do that. They would, like... It wasn't like electronic like there is today. So like if I was the tax collector and I was in charge, you know, I could be like, yeah. And I know the guys and he's like, take up 10. I go, okay. They said take up 12. You know, like, and then I could keep the rest and nobody would know. And it was really hard for them to enforce it because there's, you know, there's, you see what I'm saying? It wasn't electronic. And then some soldiers came and asked, well, what do we do? And he replied, don't extort money and accuse people falsely and be content with your pay because they had all this power backed by the government and stuff like that. They could just... You know, they were bullying people, essentially. So he's like, don't bully people, you know. So he's defining here the fruit in keeping with repentance. He's saying, share with those who don't have any. He tells tax collectors not to steal from people. And he tells soldiers and stuff to not bully people and oppress them. And the funny thing is, like, this is where I was saying, like, we instantly go, well, yeah, like, duh. Like, who doesn't think any of that's a good idea, right? But then we also get tempted to go, well... (laughs) Of, like, if I was there, I would definitely think tax collectors shouldn't do that, you know. And if I was there, I would definitely think soldiers shouldn't do that, you know. But that's kind of looking at it wrong because what we need to be looking at is that we are the tax collectors and we are the soldiers. But God's list of what to do would be different. And I don't know, you know, what your deal is, if you follow what I mean by that. But you need to ask what would the fruit of repentance look like in your life? Because there is something that God's going to say, and it's not the kind of thing that you can just wiggle your way out of. Remember we're talking about revealing? You could, pre- you could play games with all of us or on- online and make us think everything's great, and we'll probably believe you. News, there is, I want to tell people this. There's like newsflash. There are spiritually sensitive people that have discernment that they can tell you're lying. And that's really because they can see through the revealing. You see what I'm saying? So you think you're getting away with it. That's fine. Like, no one's going to call you out or anything like that. But I'm just telling you, <laughs> it's better to reckon with this stuff now, you know? And the stuff that John the Baptist is talking about here goes way deeper than photos on social media or something like that, way deeper than that. And we think we can, we just like to wiggle our way out of these things. Well, let's keep going. Verse 15, the people were waiting expectantly. We're all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them all, no. I baptize you with water, but one, more, one who is more powerful than I will come and the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's talking about Jesus there, just in case anybody wasn't picking up the, the, the crumbs. Jesus, and John tells everyone he's not the Messiah. He's warning them about the truth the Messiah and their condition in life before God. So 
He's preparing them by saying, guys, the way you think and the way you're used to things functioning isn't right. And G- the God is coming, and he's going to sort it out. So get on the right side of that. And the way to do that is to repent. He goes further into the warning about the Messiah coming. You know, we think the babe and the, you know, how sweet the baby, no crying he makes. Kind of, which that's probably, I don't think that's true at all. That's just something somebody threw in there. But you get, we make up this stuff. We're like, it would be so sweet to encounter Jesus. Here's what it is. The winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed, here it is, the good news to them. So how we got all the way down, (laughs) there's the joy part. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. So how is all of this good news? And where's the joy in it? Because I promised you it was there, okay? So hang with me as I go through this. It won't take very long. If we start with the Matthew parallel that I said about the repenting, the kingdom of God is at hand. And we, he basically lays out four pieces, and I have a slide for this, these four main points that... Um, he kind of goes through, which we're going to take one at a time. Let me make sure I say the exact same thing. So the first one is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, okay? That's one. The second point is kind of the same. It's that we need to be producing fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what it says, fruit in keeping with repentance. The kind of fruit that repentance brings into our lives, okay? And then three, any tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down. And then here's the real warning part. The axe is already at the root. So don't think like, I got plenty of time. You don't, okay? So let's go through all these and then talk about the joy that's in it, the good news, because it is really good news. Um, Repenting and the fruit in keeping with repentance. I'm going to borrow something from an author named David Foster Wallace who's talking about, he's not a Christian. Um, This is so baked into the human condition. The truth of this is so true that this guy stumbles upon it just using intellect, okay? This is this, like, we're not different. We are different in that we're bought. and Like, if you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are eternally different. But we're of the same sort as everybody else. You see what I'm saying? This is a human condition. He's saying this to human beings. He's saying this to people. He's saying this to us. He's saying it to them all these years ago, Okay? Anyway, he was talking about that every experience we have tells us all the evidence that we have. If we just take our experience, everything I experience tells me that I am the absolute center of the universe and that every single experience I have, I am the center person of that. You are the center person of that. Every experience you have tells you you're the most important human being that exists in the entire world. And that everything that happens matters as it relates to you. And that you know everything. You know, you know that everything you're doing is because it's the best that, you know, even when you make mistakes, they're like, you know, honest mistakes or, you know, not like all those jerks out there who do all those bad things because they're bad. You know, but, I, you know, the world revolves around me. The world revolves around you. This is what the evidence tells you. Just by experiencing it, and everybody knows this from the youngest kid to the oldest person. That's what our experience will teach us. And so if you want to just go by, like, 
doing your own research, that's what you're going to come away with, okay? The research will tell you you're the center of the universe. You're the most important person. And in a sense, what you start to hear in this, and I'm trying to use, again, 2021 language, but we're going to borrow into the Bible here, is that you're God. Because the kinds of things that we're talking about are God language. And then the kinds of things that we end up doing to ourselves or the things that surround ourselves are the kinds of things we talked about a couple months ago, which is called worship. So we start to worship our pleasure, or we start to worship our sense of importance, or we start to worship our beauty or our money, whatever. And when you worship any of these things, they ultimately destroy you and completely fail. The weirdest thing, which I'm going to get to, this is one of the books we read a couple months ago, and he talks about this so well. I'm going to read a chunk of this at the end. And he's, well, I'll just, we'll get to that when we get there. The point is it doesn't work. This is not news to everybody. I'm just talking. So you all know that. It's like worshiping ourselves is a bad idea. I think a three-year-old kid would tell you that. You know what I mean? And so we're talking about repenting. What are we repenting of? Well, you, you normally we go, yeah, I get it, the bad stuff, the bad stuff I do. I should repent of that. Well, yes, but the core of that, the biggest piece of that, the understanding why we're even doing that gets into the thing that I was just talking about. It's us, like Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden, saying, I can do this God thing better than you can, God, and then I'm going to step up to being God now, at least in my little world where I'm able to do that because nobody else believes it. You know what I mean? We all walk around thinking that we're the center of the universe, but so does everybody else. So nobody else, you're only in that God spot in your own head. And you can live your entire life, and most people do live their entire lives, and never have somebody tell them the truth that that's not, the, the, that's not true. You're going to find out. The, the good news in this is that finding out now makes a big difference. And what you can do to... Make way for, for Jesus to prepare the way is to repent. Say, gosh, I'm not that. And all these things that I've done because I thought that are all wrong. They call that sin, and it's all bad. And repenting is turning away from it. It's not just saying I'm sorry over and over again. Because you'll do bad things like, I'm sorry. And you actually feel like it, and then you do it again. I'm sorry. It's just this repetitive thing. That's not repenting, Okay. Repenting, the word metanoia, means to turn around. And when he's talking about, this is why it's good that he says the fruit of repentance, or the fruit in keeping with repentance, is fruit takes a while to show up on a tree or on anything. You don't just like, oh, I'm sorry, and it's like, oh, look, all the fruit's there. you got to do something different for the fruit to grow. You know, it's like fruit of the Spirit. It takes a minute, you know what I'm saying? It's not magic. And so... We need to be the people who turn from this way of thinking about ourselves as the center of everything and realize that God is the center of everything and make the changes necessary to live that way. That reflects two things. One, how we interact with God. And then the second one, like Jesus says, the second command, which is as great as this one, is how we treat other people. Because in that point, we're commanded to love other people, including our enemies, which... I don't know very many people that do that well at all, myself included. (laughs) And that's not like a, you know, for the advanced people, we'll give them that. That's like step one stuff, you know. And this is serious because he says, any tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down. I don't think you have to, like, interpret that too much. 
if I told you like, hey, God's gonna cut you down if you don't produce, like, does that like, well, that's probably good. That's probably a good thing. That's like, no, this is obviously bad. We all know that this is bad, and you don't want to be cut down. And John, and it's he also is tying tying into this. He's like, don't think that just because he was talking to mostly Jewish people right here, and he's like, don't think that just because you're Jewish or you could say my father Abraham that I'm good. He's like, you're not good. He's like, God can actually, frankly, make stones into children of Abraham. So like. That's not going to do it in this thing. You can't trust, you can't count on your intellect. You can't count on your, like, family connections. Well, like, well, you know, my mom was, like, Catholic and stuff. So, like, yeah, it's like, aren't I in that club of people? It's like, no, it's not how this thing works. It's not a club. It's not something you can have, like, a membership in in the sense of, uh, you know, it can be passed down, you know. Following Jesus and this turning is something that we all have to do. Fleming Rutledge, I told you guys about, wrote that Advent book. She says this, Here John the Baptist instructed the religious elite to not presume to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Now do you see? The power from outside is coming. A power that is able to make a new creation of people like us. Stones like us. People have no capacity of ourselves to save ourselves. The power is coming is not our power, not the power of our deeds or our inner strength or spiritual discipline or, or faith or even our repentance. It is God's power that gives good deeds and inner strength and spiritual discipline and faith and repentance. We are able to repent and bear fruit because he is coming. So we can't count on our own righteousness. You guys like, well, I'm good enough. You know, we all need to repent. This is a universal statement to everybody. Because if you're tempted to, to you know, <laughs> I'll just read you this other parable, okay? This is Luke 18, 9 through 14. This is Jesus talking. And it says this, 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. This is the thing. Confident in our own righteousness and looking down on everyone else. It sounds a lot like the thing I was talking about earlier about the whole thing about the world revolving around us. That's the kind of mindset you have to have to think that way, and it sneaks around even among people who consider themselves religious, and you see this here. To some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, and one, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So one's a religious guy, the other's a tax collector, who we've just established was probably bad, okay? <laughs> the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, adulterers, evildoers, or even like this tax collector. <laughs> I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, this man is the tax collector, Okay. Rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the truth of how reality works, okay? And I'm telling it to you, and this is the good news of this whole thing, is that the truth is going to be known. You know what I mean? You can play these games. This is what I say. We all think we can play these games um, and, uh, and get away with it. And we can, except for with God. You don't get away with anything. And it's not about getting away with anything in the sense of, like, um, he's up there 
you know, being like, you know, it's like Santa Claus or something. Where it's like he, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows if you've been bad or good. And blah blah blah. It's like it's like like this kind of God is. <laughs> well, we'll get to this. But the point is, it's not just like about let's do all the right things. We've just established that you can't. The return, the turning away from this is like I'm not God. I can't do this. I must turn to Jesus. Who th- then we can start to live this way. That's the only way to do it. If you keep yourself in this God position and then just try to glue on religious language or religious behaviors or religious practices, you're still in that exact same condition. That's the whole point. The turning has to go very deep. And the warning is here. The axe is already at the root of the tree. And that's this. Jesus is coming as a judge. And it's, that sounds really great to people who are being mistreated, to people who have been wronged, to people who have been hurt by other people. And it sounds really scary to people who think they have a lot to lose. Like, whoa, judge, you know. See, if, if you've been wronged by somebody, you're like, thank you, because <laughs> the truth will be known. You see what I'm saying? When you're over here, we're like, well, I mean, I don't want people to know everything I've been doing, because, I mean, you know, some of it's not that great, you know. And everybody's in both of these categories. It's not like, well, you know, you see what I'm saying? Some people are more in one or the other, but the point is we're all, the axe is at that root of the tree for all of us. But the truth is you don't have a lot to, to lose. And uh, as you stand before God, the, the, the thing is you're standing before God now. We read that scripture in Second Peter a couple of weeks ago about that God's delaying and coming is merciful for the, that we can hear this good news and repent now. Okay? So it's not like at some point all this is going to change and you're not going to, you know, all of a sudden you're, oh, my goodness. Like, it's true now. We're just talking about it. And it sounds like this. Repent and and the, because the axe is at the root of the tree. And then when they say, well, are you the Messiah? Like, you know, he, J- John the Baptist is like, no, I'm not. He's coming, and I'm not him. And the reason that that's important is you see in John when he sees the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. It's in John one twenty nine. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's talking about Jesus there. Takes away the sin of the world, all of it, all of that from the very, very beginning in the very deepest way of like yourself at the center of the universe, the fall, Adam and Eve, the whole thing. He takes this away. And he doesn't just say to us, you know, when we experience his love and forgiveness, um, hold on, I lost my place. Okay, uh, the, uh, well, yeah, his forgiveness of our sin isn't just like, oh, man, it's cool, you know, all that stuff. Like, it's cool, you know. He's taking it away. It's him not count. The Bible says he's not counting it toward us or against us, you see. But it's not like it's just nothing. Those things matter. But he's the one who can take them away because he's God. Because Jesus is God coming to take away the sin of the world. He doesn't just say, ah, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. It's a hugely big deal, hence why he came. And we're going to dig into this really deep as we go through the whole Gospel of John this spring. But for the sake of right now, understand he's not erasing it, like in the sense of none of this even matters. It doesn't, you know, we can just pretend like he's saying all of this happened, but I'm going to take it away. That leaves us in a correct, and rightly humble position, thankful for what God has done for us. 
because we can't do it ourselves. It's the kind of thing that only God can do, and he is doing it if we accept it. That's what we call being saved. And the thing is, this idea that we can lie to ourselves, it's like I think that we all, I don't think anything I'm saying is a shock to any person that hears this. You know, I think it's kind of like, I knew that was true somewhere deep down inside. I knew this was true. I'm not going to get away with anything. I mean, I can get away with it from my parents. Or I can get away with it from my wife. Or, you know, I can get away with it with my coworkers. But you're not going to, eventually you're not going to get away with anything. Okay? And if, and if, here's a pretty stark thing here. Hebrews 10. Just listen to this. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone who deserves to be punished who has trampled on the has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and then again the Lord will judge his people. And it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And when he says fall into the hands, that means, like, like I said earlier, the wrath of God is like standing on your own feet. He's like, I got this. I would like to you to take my life and judge it accordingly. <laughs> That's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Accepting his mercy and forgiveness, his life instead of ours, is grace. That's wonderful. And you will find his loving, forgiving arms and this kind of thing. But if you want to just... Stay over here forever. They call this wrath or they call this hell. Okay? So why? where's the joy in all of this? Like I said, we would eventually get to it. Here's the joy. This core sin that I tried to put in 2021 language of, you know, us trying to make ourselves God by thinking the world revolves all the way around us all the time. Every experience we have tells us that. And we live like that. And we give, you know... Um, here's the joy in this. There's an extreme, if you can hear the sense of humor in this, this is what I was talking about. That isn't true. <laughs> okay? But that's a really wonderful thing to not be true. I mean, there's even this silly movie, that, uh, I can't remember what it's called, it had uh, Jim Carrey in it where he gets to be God or something like that and it shows you how Bruce Almighty, yeah, it's like, it's like even that, like that's not a Christian movie but they're like, you know, it doesn't work. Like, you're not God. And even like us as, like, you know, just normal people writing, like, this isn't even written from a Christian perspective. It's just like, what would it be like if a normal person became God? You're like, oh, it ruins the entire world. You know what I mean? That's the case. So living like you're God ruins the entire world, but it mostly ruins it for you. And it mostly ruins it for those around you and then further out, you know, whatever. And you, and God's so loving, he will let you do it. But he's not so loving that he's not going to tell you that that's not true. The joy of this thing is he's going, guys, you're not God. But guess what? You don't have to be. Like, it would be really bad if you were like, you are God, and that's what you have to do from now on. It would be bad for you, and it would be bad for everybody else. And we all know that, but we all still like to think that that's the case. The joy is that you're not the center of the universe, and repenting is just finally realizing that and accepting the fact that, God, you're God, and I'm not. I'm going to read this. Justin, come on up here and 
start the uh, we're going to sing prepare the way again at the end this has been like our theme song for this time but i wanted him to come up and read this because the other scripture we read during when we were lighting the candle was isaiah so i'm going to read this chunk of isaiah because it has the joy in it then i'm going to talk this is the book that we read in october it's called victory through surrender and i'm going to read to you his description from about 60 years ago of this exact same transition of moving from thinking the world revolves around us to realizing the truth that the world revolves around God <laughs> and that God is God and that we're not. And there's a lot of joy in that. That's why this book is called Victory Through Surrender. Isaiah 12, 2 through 6. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day, you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that, he, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. That's part of the preparing the way, the telling it to other people. Shout aloud and sing for joy people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. All right, so let me close by reading from this, uh, this book here. It's Victory Through Surrender. As I understand the Christian faith in its New Testament form, or sorry, as I understand it, the, the Christian faith in its New Testament form asks nothing less and nothing more than the surrender of the self to God. I say nothing more for the self-realization cults always spell the self with a capital S, meaning you are to realize yourself as God. This quest to identify yourself as the divine self ends with the quest. The self is created a creature and can never become the creator. Thou hast made him, this is quotes, thou hast made him a little less than God, says the psalmist, but that little less is important. Man is made in the image of God, but was never intended to become God. And the attempt to become God is the central sin of religion. It is an attempt to enthrone the self as God, which is the height of self-assertion the height of, and the height of sin. This proud claim to be God is the sin that made Lucifer descend from the heights to the depths. What happens to the self when surrendered to God? Does God wipe it out or wipe it clean? He wipes it clean of selfishness. The very act of self-surrender gives him the opportunity to cleanse us from selfishness with our consent and cooperation. Having cleansed us from our central selfishness, he gives the self back to itself. When we obey the deepest law of the universe, it works. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Center yourself on yourself, and the self will disintegrate. Every self-centered person is a disintegrating person. Center yourself on yourself, and you won't like yourself, and no one else will like you. But the rest of the verse is just as true. Who, whoever loses his self, for my sake, he will save it. Lose yourself in the will of God by self-surrender, and you will find yourself again. It is a paradox but you are never so much your own that when you are most his. You are never so much your own than when you are, mo than when you are most his.
bound to him, you walk the earth free. Lo, at his feet, you stand straight before everything else. You suddenly realize that you have aligned yourself with the creative forces of the universe. So you are free, free to create, free to love, free to live at your maximum, free to be, to be all God wills you to be. It is the same kind of surrender that a loose wire attached to nothing and creating nothing makes when it surrenders itself to a dynamo or a generator. Now it throbs with energy, with light and power. It gives in living for something beyond itself. It lives in living for something beyond itself. Paint surrenders itself to the artist and mere color becomes a beautiful picture. Marble surrenders itself to the sculptor and a mere block of expressionless marble becomes an almost living figure. Ink surrenders itself to the writer and mere fluid begins to throb with intelligence and passion. The surrender which seems downward, laying down your arms, is actually a surrender upwards. It is a surrender to creative love. This is not acquiescence. It is cooperation with the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That power, when surrendered to and cooperated with, will raise us from the dead, non-contributive life, and to creative... Wait, will raise us from a dead, non-contributive life to a creative, fruitful one. In surrender, you align your will to an almighty will, and you begin to do things you could not previously do. You accomplish the unaccomplishable, and you you are a surprise to yourself and others. And that's the joy in everything that we're talking about. And the joy is that it's true. The joy is that it's available to everyone, and the joy is that it works. The, the seriousness of this message is the fact that our willingness to accept it or not changes nothing. And the root is the axe is already at the root of the tree. So the truth that John the Baptist is talking about in these scriptures about Jesus, what Jesus is coming to do, and our status before God and in creation and everything is the way it is. It's the apocalyptic revealing of like, well, what's really going on here? I feel like that kind of attitude has really been in the air, especially in the last couple of years. There's been pandemics and things. We're like, what's really going on? This is the best picture of what's really going on. All of these human promises, all of these human situations are lies and will fall apart in, in light of this because they're motivated by those kinds of things. This self-preservation, these kinds of things. This, if I want to, I'm going to try to save my life on my own terms, not lose it and surrender to His terms. The scary part is, if you don't accept this, it comes at you the other way because it doesn't go away. It's true either way. And I, I'm telling you this as a person that's like, this is as best as I can see it biblically and truthfully before you and before God that you're going to have to reckon with this because on our own. We are in hell, and we're go- and and it's like I was talking. We were talking about the kingdom of God has been inaugurated by Jesus, and we'll see the fulfillment of it at His return. Hell is also available now. It's like we the, the term we describe the kingdom of God in heaven is like heaven is now and not yet. Like it's started by what Jesus, but it's gonna, it's inaugurated eschatology. They say it's now and it's not yet. Like mostly they come. Well, hell's the same sort of way. You can live in hell now. We know people that do. We've all been there. The more you do this kind of stuff, like he said, you become a rotten person and nobody even likes you. And you, then you find that pathway to eternity. 
So all you have to look forward to is an eternity of that and the worst version of that. The fire that consumes, he says. But the joy is we can be free of all of that. And it absolutely works. So, Father, I pray that you would reveal to us what's truly going on in our lives and show to us as individuals in a true way what our lives would look like to have the fruit in keeping with repentance, the fruit of our lives to look not like to, to sh- the life of the turning where we turn to you, Lord, and acknowledge that you, Jesus, are the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the, the sin of the world, and you, God, are God, and that we are not. So that when we